Thank you, Joe. That's great. All right, well, welcome, everyone. Just want to give a warm welcome uh, personally. And my name is Mark, as Joe's just said. My name is Mark Rushworth. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church. And today is going to be the second message in our series, um, the series that I'm preaching on, on every spiritual blessing in Christ. And that's coming from Ephesians and chapter 1. Um, we're going to be looking at this between now and Christmas um, when I'm preaching, so a number of messages. Let's read together um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can read them, uh, follow along. If you uh, don't, um, the words are appearing on the screen. And if you're online, you should see the words on the screen as well. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. All right. Well, last time I was preaching, we looked at what it meant to be in Christ, to have been taken from un being under the power of sin and the devil and being raised to a new life in Christ. This has so many implications to our lives. And the main point that I was making about being in Christ was that whatever happens to Christ happens to us. If we are in Christ, whatever happens to Christ happens to us. I gave an example of being in this building and said, if this building got destroyed by a bomb, we would all be destroyed. Equally, if God's manifest presence came and his blessing and spiritual uh, gifts were poured out all over, uh, we would be recipients of that as well. You know, the the good things that would happen as well, maybe that would have been a more hopeful example to give than the bomb dropping last time. Um, because we're in Christ, we can know that God loves us. We can know for sure that he hears our prayers. We can know that he's close to us because we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We can know that we're no longer under the power of sin, so then we can begin to practically work that out in our lives. It may well be that we need others to help us outwork those things, and that can be good. Maybe some felt that I was saying, actually, you don't need to work through things that have gone on in your past. No, I wasn't saying that at all. That can be very helpful. But first of all, we need to have understood the objective truth of who we are in Christ, because that provides the foundation for finding and expressing that in your everyday life. Often our experience and our feelings don't remind us of that objective truth. The Bible does. And so we remind ourselves of who we are in Christ, and then we work it out, and, and others can help us in that. And in Christ, in that location, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. 
So let's move on to the first of the spiritual blessings in Christ, which Paul speaks about. And it's this in verse 4. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Okay, I wonder how you felt when I read some of those words out. Chosen by God, predestined. As I've told people uh, in discussions this week, what I'm preaching on today, people have said, oh, Great, nice controversial topic there that you've uh, chosen. Good luck with that one. Many people get concerned and agitated when they think about these things. We can get into all sorts of intellectual problems with it. Oh, God's chosen us then. God's chosen us. But what about other people? Has he not, has he not chosen them? And didn't I choose God? I seem to remember that I made a decision to follow Jesus. Didn't I choose God rather than him choosing me? If, if he chose me, does that mean I didn't have any say in the matter? Am I some sort of robot? These can be some of the questions that go through our minds, some of the things that you may have heard people say, some of the things you might have said yourself. Now, whilst I don't want to um, just outright dismiss some discussions because it's really good to talk and figure some of those things out, I, I want to say those, aren't going, those questions are not going to be the main focus of what I'm saying this morning. And the reason for that is because actually the Bible very rarely, if ever, approaches things from that angle. Of course, Paul will have known about such concerns and arguments. He'll have heard them in his day. Uh, I'm sure he will have wrestled through them uh, in his mind. He will have had some very robust conversations with people, I'm sure, as, the, as these things get worked out. What I will say is that actually, despite what some people have suggested, this doctrine of God choosing people isn't something that's just specific to Paul. Some people say, oh, it's just, this is just Paul, but, but it's not there in the rest of the Bible. Well, that's not true. In the Old Testament, God has a chosen people, the Israelites. In the New Testament, that's widened out to the church. Jesus talks about those that God has chosen. In John and chapter 17, uh, verse 9, Jesus prays for his disciples. And he says this, he says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. So it comes all the way through the Bible. Let's come back to Paul. Paul isn't nervous of this doctrine. Paul isn't nervous about saying that people are chosen by God. He isn't nervous about saying people are predestined. In fact, it's right here, four verses in to this letter to the Ephesians. He doesn't hold back. But the context of what he's saying as one of the spiritual blessings that we have in God is this. The context is praising God. That's the context that he's saying this in. He says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. So the context of being chosen and predestined isn't intellectual argument or debate. It's praising God. It's a blessing. 
I don't quite know how things work in Canada. We've only been here for seven years. But when I was growing up in the UK, we would have sports classes at school every week in, in high school. I think we just called it games. That was what it was on the curriculum, games. It was, it, it, most of the time it was soccer, usually in the pouring rain, a bit like it's been this, this weekend. We would go out and play soccer. I wasn't very good at soccer. The way it would go, it was this. The teacher would appoint two team captains. Two team captains, and they uh, tended to be the best players. Okay, you're the best players, you can be the team captains. Then everyone else would line up in one line, the team captains would stand in front of them, and one by one they would choose who they wanted on their team. So they would start with the best player. And they would say, well, I'm gonna choose him. This was an, it was an old boys school I went to. I'm gonna choose him. The next place was, oh, I'm going to choose him. And they would go down the line, and each, as they chose us, we would walk forward and we would stand with our team. Until, um, and it would, it would go until everyone was taken. Almost always, this is no lie, almost always I was the last one to be chosen. Almost always. It was so humiliating. Every week. In fact, there was one week where... Everyone's got chosen, there's just two of us left. And one, one guy goes, oh, well, I'm gonna choose him and, pick, and points to the other guy. So I'm left there on my own, so I'm like, oh, okay. So I start walking over to, to, the, to the other team. And the captain looks at the other captain and he goes, you can have him as well. <laughs> I don't want him. <laughs> what a humiliation. Oh, I still need prayer. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming back. <laughs> it's okay. I'm in Christ. <laughs> but then, <laughs> then in grade 12, by grade 12, we started um, playing basketball. I was actually pretty good at basketball. One week, I was the first person to be chosen for basketball, to be on the team. Just one week, I was never the last at basketball. One week, I was the first. I was so proud. Sometimes we're the first, sometimes we're the last. The Bible tells us God chose us. God chose us. What a privilege. What a privilege. Now, we might say, but, it, but it's just not fair. It's just not fair. Well, no. It's not fair because actually we didn't deserve to be chosen. We didn't deserve to be chosen. Unlike with a sports team, none of us are good enough for God to choose us. But the great thing is, God hasn't chosen us based on our performance. He hasn't chosen us on how good we are. It's not the same thing. Because Paul says, God chose us before the creation of the world. He chose us before the creation of the world. He chose us before we were even born. None of us had a standard that we had to reach before we were chosen. It wasn't like picking the soccer team. The captains of those teams knew who could play well. They knew who could play well. They knew I was far more likely to score a goal for the opposition, an own goal, than I was to score a goal for our own team. So they're like, eh, we're not choosing him. God chose me before I had done anything good or bad. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me 
that how I perform now is not going to affect his choice. Because I wasn't chosen dependent on how good I was. How I perform now is not going to affect his choice. Sometimes we feel it's hypocritical to come and worship God if we know we've done something that we shouldn't have done. Maybe you've been arguing with your family on the way to the meeting, even this morning. It, it does happen sometimes. It certainly does for our family anyway. And, and, and you think, can I really in integrity go and worship God when I've just been, I've just been yelling at my kids? I know I, I know I shouldn't have lost it with my kids, but I've just been yelling at them. Can I really walk in and then start praising God? Isn't that hypocritical? The truth is, God loves you just as much if you've been arguing with your family as if you'd been praying for two hours before the meeting. He loves you just as much. It hasn't affected his love for you. The love of God is amazing. It can't be shaken off. Nothing can separate us from it. God is determined to love you. He's determined to love you. He loved you before the creation of the world. And his love for you today is not going to be affected by what you did on the way in today. We all need to understand that love of God because it's life-changing. It's freeing. It sets us free to know, oh, I know I'm loved by God. I know, oh, I've got all this stuff, but I know I'm loved by God. We need to understand that first. But you know what? We can't just leave it there. Because if we say, God chose me before the creation of the world, the temptation is to say, Whew, well, I can relax then. I can relax in that knowledge. I can just live however I want. Because it really, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I do because I'm loved by God. If we do that, if we say that, we're actually stopping before the end of the verse. Because we have to ask the question, why did God choose us? Why did God choose us? And Paul tells us. He says he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. To be, he chose us to be holy and blameless. Why does God want us to be holy and blameless? Well, because that's what God's like. And he wants us to be with him. So then we can just think, oh, well, that's it. I've blown it. I've already blown it. How can I be holy and blameless in God's sight? But here God steps in to help us again. The first thing God does is he says, actually, you are legally blameless before me. You're legally blameless before me. We know that there are things that we've done. We know that there are things that we've said that we shouldn't have done. We know there are things that we have thought which are not holy, which are not blameless. All these things that a holy God would look at and condemn. I mean, you know, we might look okay to other people, we might manage to fool them. Some people might say, oh, you're really kind and loving. I've, I've met people before who say, oh, you're just really good, aren't you? 
but they don't see every defect. They don't see things in the way that God does. If there are, if there are things to do in our house, some, some you know, maintenance work in our house, I think I can do a pretty decent job most of the time of patching things up. The other day, our dog Lola pulled out. She got hold. She loves to get hold of the toilet paper roll. She she likes the cardboard in it. She was tugging away at it, and she pulled the whole holder out of the wall. So all the drywall and everything is coming out. I'm like, wow. So I went and tried to patch it up, and I think I did a pretty decent job. You know, I got I got some spacking or whatever you call it, and then I I, I sanded it and I repainted it. It looks okay. If Tim Bicknell came around to our house, or someone else who was like a painter and decorator, some other expert, I'm sure they would look at it and go, eh. They would see the defects. They would see what I had not done all that well. And, and God, in the area of holiness, he's the expert. And we're called to be holy and blameless in God's sight. It's God who's looking. God sees everything. God sees all of our thoughts. He sees all of the motivations of our hearts. How can anyone stand before God holy and blameless? We can't. We can't. But Jesus did. Jesus did. And on the cross, all of our sin, all of our defects, and the, and the, and the punishment for that, were all laid on Jesus. And what took place has been called the great exchange. Imagine this represents our sin and it's, and it's on us. And here is Jesus and he had no sin. He was blameless. He was holy before the Father. He'd never done anything wrong. He never had any impure motivations. He'd never had any impure thoughts. He was holy and blameless, but on the cross, he was punished. And the Bible tells us that our sin was transferred onto him. He became sin who knew no sin. And that left us standing clothed in his righteousness. We were holy and blameless before God because Jesus took our sin. We're declared legally righteous, good, holy, blameless before God. There's no punishment to be paid because it's been paid. It's been paid by Jesus. And that gives us such encouragement to start off with. And the second way that we can be holy and blameless before God is knowing that God has given us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us to live a holy life because he's the Holy Spirit. What are we like if we're full of God's Holy Spirit? We'll be holy. That power of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is there for us should we want to receive it. We have the power made available to us if we want. We don't have to make use of that power. We don't have to make use of it. But why wouldn't we want to? 
Why wouldn't we want to? Why would we want to hear that God declares us to be holy and righteous because that's what he wants us to be? Why would we hear that God is offering to fill us with his Holy Spirit to help us to be more holy, to live out a holy life? Why would we have all of that and just turn around and say, eh, no thanks. I'm just going to mess around the way I did before. Just going just gonna to live life the way I did. Why would we say, okay, I'm going to settle for being quite holy. I still want to watch some of those things that I used to watch. I still want to do some of those things that I used to do. I'm going to pick and choose my areas of holiness. Why would we want to do that? It's a crazy thing to do. Because God has chosen us. God has chosen you for the purpose of being holy and blameless. When I was chosen to play basketball, what was I going to do? I was going to play basketball. I'd been chosen to play basketball, so I was going to play basketball. It would have been unthinkable if, if, for, to be chosen. Oh, you're chosen, you're on my team, to say, do you know what? I'm just going to watch everyone else play. I'm going to watch everyone else. I don't want to play. I've been chosen to play. What about if we were chosen to go to the Olympics? What about if we were chosen to go to the Olympics to represent Canada in some sport? Would that demotivate us so that we just said, oh, okay, great, I'm going to the Olympics. I'll just kick back and relax. Going to the Olympics. I'm going anyway. I'm on the team. Doesn't matter. I'm on the team. Of course not. It would motivate us to work even harder. We might think, I don't think I'm good enough to go. But if we were told we were going to go anyway, if we were told we had access to the best training facilities, the best coaches, everything was being laid at our disposal to help us to compete. We were getting every benefit that we could have got. Of course, we're going to take full advantage of that. We're going to take full advantage. So we don't say, oh, thanks God for choosing me, but I'm not going to aim to be holy. It's our privilege. We get to be declared holy. We receive the power to be holy. Our destiny is to be holy and blameless. So do you know what? We make every effort to be holy and blameless. Thirdly, some people say, do you know what? If we believe God chooses who he wants to choose, then we don't have to make any effort to tell people about Jesus. We don't have to bother sharing the gospel because God's going to save who he wants to save. He's just going to do it anyway. Why does he need me involved? That's faulty thinking too. God has chosen us to bring the good news of salvation to people. The Bible tells us that. It would be a bit like us believing that God brings about the harvest every year, which he does, because God... In, in how he's instigated things and created things. He's, he's created the different seasons, the different weather patterns, the way that he's ordained crops to grow. So do we go, oh, that, the farmers don't need to bother with their work. No, the farmers work hard. The farmers work hard. Once we recognize and realize the privilege of being chosen by God, we can fully give ourselves to everything God's chosen and called us to do. And that can be hard work sometimes. It can be difficult work, but we're working in partnership with God, full of his Holy Spirit. 
He's called us to something great. We can give ourselves to it. We're so blessed in Christ because we're chosen. And then very briefly, we see God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and his will. He predestined us. In other words, he decided our destiny beforehand. He predestined us. And he overruled events so that that would happen. I wonder whether you remember the day that you decided to become a Christian. For me, it was my first week of university. I went to a, a meeting. Uh, I heard the gospel preached. I stood up at the end, and uh, I didn't go forward or anything, but I, I, in my heart, I received Christ. First week of university. I made that decision to stand up. I wasn't, no one forced me. I made the decision. It was real. But God was at work in the lead up to that. God orchestrated events so that it could happen. And looking back, now I'm able to see some of the things that God orchestrated, and I'm sure I still don't see it all, but I can see some of it. My high school grades weren't good enough for me to get into university to study law that year, the year previously, which I'd, I'd planned to do. So I ended up getting a job for a year. And then before I went to university, I just got increasingly unsettled about the idea of studying law. I'd always wanted to do that, ever since I could remember. But I got increasingly unsettled, uh, and so I was thinking, well, what can I do instead? And for some reason, I got drawn to the idea of biblical studies. I had no idea why. Kind of went to church, but I'm like, why would I go from law to biblical studies? I didn't really know, but I just had that sense that that's what I wanted to do and that I should do, so I, I called up the, um, the, the registrar, the dean on the phone, and I said, um, well, what do I need to do to change my course from law to biblical studies? And he said, ask and it shall be given unto you. Um, so I was like, oh, that's neat. I think that's in the Bible. Um, so, so I, I okay, so th there it was, and I, and I went. I later found out that the course that I went to um, was supposedly one of the best biblical studies courses in the whole world. They only took 15 people a year for that course. Everyone had a really rigorous interview, like it was really competitive to get into it, uh, apart from me. And I showed up, one of the professors said to me when I was there, she said, I don't remember you from the interviews. I said, I never had an interview. She goes, everyone had an interview. I said, I didn't have an interview. <laughs> I just made a phone call. She's like, that's crazy. <laughs> that's the way it was. That's what happened. I went to university. I'm going to study biblical studies. I'm like, oh, I don't really know much about this, but anyway. Just before I went to university, some friends asked me if I wanted to go to a, a kind of Christian festival. It's kind of semi-Christian festival, which I did. I bought a festival sweater there. I wore it on the first day of Frosh Week. Um, and they were going to do uh, go around all the different bars and pubs, and so I wore it. And that day, on uh, they call it a pub crawl in England, I don't know if they call it that here, going to different bars, uh, a number of Christians, thankfully Christians don't, aren't against alcohol in England, <laughs> a number of Christians saw me wearing this, crest, this sweater, and obviously no one knows each other, so they all kind of came over, started chatting to me, and we had this big group of us around uh, after a while, and, and they were talking about God, and even though I attended church, I was like, gosh, you, you take this a lot more seriously than I do. And God seems really real in your life. And it, he's kind of just this concept in my life. Um, and, and a few days, we hung, out, we hung out. And a few days later, we went to this meeting. 
And that's where I responded, and that's where I gave my life to Christ. But you see the whole background to that story. You know, I, I couldn't, why did I fail those courses? Why did this happen? Why did I change my course? Why did I wear this sweater on that? God is orchestrating events. I made the decision to follow Christ, but God predestined it to happen. He made a way. And I don't even know all the other things. But the Bible tells me that the truth is before time began, God said, he's mine. I know that God said that about me. He's mine. God predestined us to be adopted into sonship, to become part of the family, to ultimately receive an inheritance. Remember the story of the prodigal son, the lost son? He wanted to go off and do his own thing. He realized later on what a mess he'd made of his life. So he said, I'm going to go back and, as a slave to my father. It, it, it's better than this. Being a slave for a slave owner wasn't always a bad thing in Jesus' day. Some people would have been happy with that position. But as he's approaching home, his father runs towards him. He throws his arms around him. He kissed him. He put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. He had a huge feast to celebrate because he, his son had come back. And the, and the older son was unhappy, you remember the story, because he'd always done the right thing. He'd always done the right thing. But the father said, come on, we've got to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead, and now he's alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. It doesn't matter in some ways, in some ways it does, but in some ways it doesn't matter whether you've always done the right thing, whether your whole life's been serving God, or whether you've rebelled against God, you've lived a terrible life, you've hurt other people. The truth is, when you come to your senses, as the Bible says, when you return to the Father, you're as loved by Him as anyone else. The younger son was loved as loved by the Father as the older son, who'd always done the right thing. If you've come back to God and you might be full of regret of the things that you've done, know this, God loves you as much as He loves anyone else in this room. God loves you as much as he loves me, as much as he loves Joe, anyone. In the parable, the father received him back as a son, and that's how God receives us. He could have taken us back as slaves. Would have been a pretty good position for us, wouldn't it? To be a slave of the king. King David said that. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. He said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. Well, God takes us in, but not as slaves, not as doorkeepers. He takes us in as sons and daughters. He gives us rights of inheritance. Everything he has is ours. And when we give our lives to him, heaven celebrates. What a privilege. God chose us in him before the creation of the world and he predestined us for sonship. That means inheritance. Why? Because it was in accordance with his pleasure and his will. He did it because he wanted to do it. He did it because it pleased him. And there's no greater motivation for us than to please God. It pleased him. 
God wants us to be around him because it pleases him that we are. He wants us to pray to him. He wants us to live our life for him. He wants us to be involved in building his kingdom. He wants us to spread his good news. That's why he chose us. That's why he created us. Why would we want to do anything else? Why would we want to do anything else? So let's join with Paul in praising God for these wonderful truths, which God wants us to understand and to see. Some of them are tricky. Some of them are difficult to figure out. I acknowledge that. It's not the only things in the Bible which are tricky and difficult to figure out. I can't claim to fully understand the Trinity, but I praise God for it. Let's allow these truths to impact our lives, to spur us on to a life of holiness, full of the Holy Spirit, and a life given to telling others about Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning because God has orchestrated it so that you will be. Maybe you just think, oh, my parents have dragged me along, and I don't really want to be here. And you might be at an age where you're like, oh, this has nothing to do with me. Listen, God has got you here for a reason. You are here because God wants you to be here. I've known two people tell me that they were about to end their lives. And one way or the other, God got them to church. One was someone who I ended up inviting. He was going to kill himself. And I said, look, why don't you just, and I didn't know. I said, come, just come up and stay with us for the weekend. And he did. And then I, took, I said, let's go to church. We're going to church. Why don't you come with us? He told me afterwards he was going to end his life after that weekend that he'd spent with us. And he came to church with me. And God impacted his life, changed his life. God predestined it. He orchestrated events. Maybe that is the same for you. Maybe God wants to change your life today. Maybe you want to receive Jesus in your heart today and know that he's changed you and he can fill you with his spirit. Why don't we all stand together and pray? I'm going to invite Joel just to come back to just lead us in reflecting in one more song, but let's pray. Father God, Father God, I thank you that we, we understand the truth of who we are and who we are in you from your word. And Lord God, we don't claim to understand everything about this. We wrestle with it. But we don't want to stop, let that stop us from believing it. We don't want to let that stop us from worshiping you and praising you for it. So I pray that even some of the words that I've spoken today, Lord, if it's truth, and I believe it is, that's why I've said it, but if it's truth, Lord, let it impact people. Let it change people's lives. Let it change how we live and outwork things. Thank you, God, that you declare us holy and blameless and righteous before you. We know we don't deserve that. Thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. I pray, fill us this morning, even now, with your Holy Spirit again. Thank you for that power that holy power to, to live holy lives. And I pray we will work out what you've called us to. We'll play on your team because you've picked us, you've chosen us. We'll give our lives for it. Thank you, God.
We worship you this morning to the praise of your glorious grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.